This is Danny Callip, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair. How was your week of having no Fulham game to stress about then? We have, of course, fallen further behind as our hopes of avoiding relegation from the Premier League become fainter and fainter as those around us picked up points last weekend. Plus, we are back in action on Saturday evening as we have a very tricky away game a mile up the road at Stamford Bridge to negotiate. I've got Morgs and Don Love with me to have a look ahead to the game. Plus, I have a Damien Duff in focus chat with Baldo for you halfway through. Let's go. Fulham. Well, lads, how did you spend your Fulham free weekend last weekend then, Morgs? Let's talk about uh, something other than Fulham. What did I do? I uh, I went to the playground um, <laughs> with my daughter, not on my oh. own. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the Graham Rick special. It was the uh, yeah. I just went there, enjoyed the sun, and we went out and fed the ducks. Um, yeah, pretty sounds, wholesome weekend. Sounds far more enjoyable than uh, than the sort of shit we've had to put up with recently. Well, How about you in uh, in Georgia, Don? What was happening? I am in the middle of uh, remodeling our guest bedroom for when this COVID shit's over and maybe you guys can come visit. Um, so I've been uh, painting and uh, redoing tile. And then a fun thing for me, um, I'm not a big gambler, but one of our neighbors set up a big table outside underneath his one deck and uh, we got to play poker. Uh, Texas Hold'em. So nice. I won uh, $40. <laughs> Oh, very nice. So, you lost you lost the house, but you know, yeah, you lost the house, but I won forty dollars. <laughs> very good. A right, quick quick pulse check and make sure you tweet us. Is this chat more or less tedious than talking about Fulham season? At Fulham underscore focus. <laughs> anyway, let's let's get back to the the matters at hand. So the results when we weren't playing were pretty dire for us last weekend, weren't they? All the teams in that bottom part of the Premier League, Bar Southampton have all now played 33 games and we sit two points above West Brom, seven behind Bryson and nine behind Newcastle, Southampton and Burnley. This is going to take an almighty miracle for us to survive from here. Lads, sum up your thoughts for me. I'll come to you first, Don. We've not had you on for a little while. Oh, It's like you said, you know, the, the, the fixtures, nothing was kind to us at all uh, whatsoever. And it, it pretty much puts the writing on the wall now. The fat lady may not have sung. Uh, it may be still mathematically possible uh, for things to happen. But, you know, I, I went through based on the games that happened and I went through and did one of those uh, premier prediction calculators. And I tried to be really generous, you know, for everybody. And even me being not not going with my heart, but more my head, but still being generous, we still got relegated. We, we still came out with 31 points, and it was Burnley and Southampton that were tied at 38 points, and Brighton, you know, sitting above us at 35 points. So I think things are looking a little more doom and gloom here lately. Uh, I don't know about you, Morgs. Yeah, not much better. Um, obviously not mathematically out of it. Uh, I think the fact that Burnley, you know, just rolled over Wolves uh, in a way that we just couldn't do really sums up 
this season. You know, Wolves are they're on their summer holidays already. Uh, they they didn't look like much of a threat when we played them, yet we still lost. Uh, they clearly weren't much of a threat to Burnley, and Burnley, who you know, they'll grind out a one nil win, banged in four. I mean, why can't we do that? And obviously, we know the answer because we've got we're completely impotent in attack. And it, you look at it and go, yeah, sure, we can stay up if we get three wins or whatever, and Burnley or Brighton, whoever it is, just above us lose all their games. But do we deserve it? No, we don't. We're kind of at that point where we've had so many chances. And, you know, if we do get out of it, you've got to look at the teams above us and go, sorry, guys, you know, it's, <laughs> we've, we've uh, you know, shithouse that one. Uh, great if we do, but let's, I'm not going to be crying over it. This isn't, the last time we went down, it was a disaster. This time we go down, it's also a disaster in just a bit of a different way. So I'm trying to sort of think optimistically and think, hey, yeah, we'll, you know, go out all guns blazing against Chelsea. They'll be hopefully a bit tired after the match uh, against uh, Real Madrid. But they're a professional team. They're excellent, well-drilled, well-organised. You know, we're going to have a very difficult job against them. So uh, if we get a result against them, great. But I wouldn't bet on it. Now, the problem that the three of us have when we're recording podcasts is trying to think of new things to talk about. But the fact of the matter is, it's been the same problem all season. And there's only so many times that you can you can talk about that same problem and try and use uh, try and articulate yourself slightly differently. But the fact of the matter is, five wins all season, two of which have been at home, not good enough, relegation form, we deserve exactly what we're going to get. And there's no getting out of it now. We're far too far behind with no games left to play with. We've lost games we should have won. We've, we've drawn games we should have won. We just don't score goals. And that's the bottom line. And th- that's it. That- that's why we're going down. And what, the was that, uh, <laughs> hey, what was that? Uh, I'm trying to find it. Oh, I think I just found it. Uh, in the WhatsApp group, uh, I think it was J-Mac that posted this. Uh, Fulham's attacking stats for this season. Goals, 24. Attempts, 376. Chances created 288, conversion rate 6.4, shooting accuracy 43%. I mean, that just sums up, you know, everything that has gone wrong with this season. And I, I, I don't know where you guys stand because I've given up on on figuring out which one of you guys is Parker in, Parker out. Uh, it seems to change all the time. I, I don't – I know J-Mac, it changes hourly, uh, maybe every five minutes even. I, I – I do think, you know, a lot of the problems this year do go come down to Parker as a manager, but given the attack that we've had and the options we've had, I, I don't know that another manager could have done any better. And I think that's what just killed us is that even, even when Lookman or, or Bobby Decker Reed or whoever looked like, Oh, they, they, they might be onto something. They're looking pretty good. Then they fell apart and they went to shit. So we've had zero consistency in the top portion of, of our field at all. And that's the bottom line this whole season. There's just been no consistency. So and you kind of have to, you have to look at it go sort of, is it individual errors that have led to this? Is it something that Park has told them how to play as it, you know, you can't, I don't know. It's you look at it and go. Our forward play has 
potential, but offers nothing at the same time. Uh, obviously, having one striker for the most part who was not on form after game week four or whatever it was uh, really damaged. You know, has damaged the whole season. You know, the defense got sorted. Great. Uh, you know, that's that's a you know, plaudits to Parker on that. But that's just one third of the pitch. There's two thirds. You know, obviously uh, Harrison Reed has had a great season. Uh, Angus has been good in parts. Lamine has been good in parts. But everyone else is just kind of spits and spurts, really. And when you look at it, that's got to come down to coaching because these are, you know, well, coaching or the stats computers spat out the wrong people. But now, even that, okay, so, so the stats put out the wrong people, but those people have been inconsistent. That's, the, like I said, what I've been getting at is I don't think, you know, if, if you're the manager and you're looking back at what are my options, well, you're looking at all these players. They're so inconsistent. Who do you pick? You know, and that, and the problem, you know, I'm a big believer in players who, who are consistent and are on fire, like Mitro, if he's on fire or whatnot, it, it has to do with their belief in themselves, you know? And I don't think a lot of these players have any belief in themselves whatsoever. But that's probably down to the form, isn't it? I mean, that's, you know, when you're on form, players have more belief in themselves. When you're on a losing run. I mean, they beat Liverpool and then lost four games in a row. I mean, how's that work? Uh, okay, <laughs> on form, good, you know, if you go yeah, to transfermarket.com, and you look at the form table on form, that puts Fulham in 20th and, and Crystal Palace and then Southampton sitting above them in 19th and 18th, respectively. So even though, you know, our form table even shows that we're, we're just inconsistent and shit. Yeah, but it's, you know, Parker gets a lot of plaudits that sometimes I think are, you know, unearned on his part. Um but at the same time, you know, I wanted to do well because I have this utopian dream of a long, long-term manager who sort of leads us up the I table. I like that. Yeah, I, I love it. You know, I've kind of, but I think it's possibly unrealistic at this time. Yeah. You know, Come on, Frenchy, put a good spin on this. So, somehow cheer us up. Oh, I've got nothing to say. I've, I've, <laughs> I've said all I've got to say throughout the course of the season. And we're moving I'm, on. I don't, I, there's no point in me repeating myself. And... I've, I've thought we'd be we'd be going down from about November sort of time, and all of a sudden, you know, there were a couple of spikes and a couple of good results, and you think we've got to build on this now, and we haven't. So, you know, we, we deserve everything we get this season. Unfortunately, the table speaks we, for we itself. Do. We we're do. buried. We're dead and buried. I'm afraid. I mean, let's come. A, I was going to say, but the sort of you know the the big thing is, it could have been so great had you know our players gelled if we'd signed the players in time if they hadn't been injured if they you know we had more than one striker on the books you know, and i think that's going to be the bottom line for this season it's going to be hindsights and what ifs what yeah, ifs but, what know, ifs. hindsight will come out at the end of the season where you know you'll get the sycophantic interview with you know mr mr tony and it will be you know everything will be blamed on whatever this that and the other we're just looking at it and go uh you know we're just going back to square one again in fact we're going beyond square one because we'll lose so many players from this team and we'll be back with a team of players who weren't given the opportunity for the most part to play in this team this season. So, you know, they'll either be sort of, you know, feeling unwanted or, you know, just like backups because we have nothing else. It's like you're saying, take Steph Joe, for example. I think if you want to be, if you're Fulham and you want to do him a solid, 
you let them go. You know, say, yep, you can go to QPR. You know, you deserve it. You, you've done great things for us. We, yeah, we treated you like shit. We treated you like shit. And, you know, we just pissed you off into the wind. So if you want to go, go. Okay. You know I'm what I mean? Sure. I'm not, I, I don't think, you know, you ever say to anyone, you deserve QPR, because that sounds like an insult. But... Well, <laughs> I, I, I want to say he deserves it. But if he wants to go, he deserves to go. He, yeah, he deserves exactly. to be able to have the right to go play. Whereas, are we going to guarantee him to play anymore? We might have to because we've only got a five-a-side squad at the end of this season. <laughs> yeah. Play the 1-2-1 formation next season. It's going to be great. I can't wait. <laughs> let's move Ooh. on, guys. Let's let's talk about Chelsea. Uh, Dom, what have you made of Chelsea this season? Or like me, do you just not give a shit about them? Uh, again, uh, I, I don't really pay attention to the other teams. And this, this year has really made me not pay attention to teams in the leagues even further. The only thing about Chelsea that I somewhat kind of follow is the American. If it weren't for, you know, uh, for him, I, I wouldn't know shit about Chelsea. Um, and he, you know, sadly for him, you know, he, he was doing all kinds of injuries uh, in and out, in and out. And then now he's kind of come back and he's really been doing pretty well. He's been making things happen. He just had a, fantastic goal in the uh, champions league uh, very calm cool uh finish you know and that's the kind of thing that we don't want chelsea to be doing when we're coming up against them on vital games that are basically must wins now at this point for us so i don't know i guess from from my point of view football this season it's been a slog to watch because the lack of fans there's been no buzz to it I've mm. tolerated the Fulham games because I will watch Fulham games wherever, whatever the yeah. situation. But other games, you know, if in the past I'd sit down and watch Brighton versus Burnley on a Monday night, you know, because at least there'd be probably a bit of an atmosphere or whatever. This season, it's, it, it feels like a slog to watch these games. And, you know, Chelsea, yeah, you see their results, you see it on the highlights, their goals, whatever. What they did with Lampard, probably he wasn't right for the job, bringing in uh, Tuchel. Yeah, okay, decent manager. Uh, but really, don't give a shit about it. <laughs> uh, it was just my way of coming up with an interesting don't give a shit. They got a pretty good bounce uh, out of that new manager. Yeah, yeah but he's good. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's a good manager and he's got a good squad at his disposal. He's far more experienced than Lampard. Uh, that job, yeah, okay, a, a lot of these teams... Um, are taking the sort of Real Madrid-Barcelona approach of bringing in managers, head coaches who play for the club and know the ethos. They don't necessarily need to be the best uh, head coaches. They just have to implement the the Chelsea way, the Man United way, the, you know, whatever. Well, Gerard, or goes, more, oh. more to the point, it's not necessarily the Chelsea way, it's the way of the owner, you know. Um, the, the way yeah, the Doff so, wants so, things to go. Yeah, uh, the way that Lampard learned how to play as a as a Chelsea player. He's there right. to implement that strategy, um, and he couldn't do it as much because you know I think he did better when he didn't have um, the opportunity to sign all these players. I think he worked well with the young English players, uh, but as soon as he was given uh, a war chest to go out and buy a bunch of guys, um, it was probably just all these egos coming into the dressing room. He probably didn't know how to handle it as much. He you know foreign players coming from Germany and wherever, you know, it's, it's another, it's a whole different ball game when. 
where you, he's still young enough and still probably wants to be in the game. He wants his own ego stroked. Yeah, of course he does. Fat Frank loves his ego stroked. But he'll he'll get he'll he'll find himself another job, uh, sort of a palace level or something like that. But um, but again, don't really give a shit. Uh, but <laughs> it's, mm. it's so you know, I did read from one one Fulham fan that uh, Fulham, even though they've been doing shit, uh, has kind of saved him mentally through your everybody's lockdowns, and it was because at least he had something to follow, something to constantly read about, something to focus his mind on, even though they were doing shit. At least he he was, you know, had something to fill his time, he felt. I mean, maybe next time we have a pandemic, you should take up like a jigsaw puzzle or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit more uh, worthwhile. Uh, it's a shame that it's, you know, obviously from our point of view, it's a shame it's turned out like this. Next season, hopefully we'll have fans back in the ground. You know, we'll... Even if it's not full capacity, it'll be something. Um, and it'll actually just bring the game to life again. Because it, uh, it's such a, it's a bit of a cliche, but, you know, um, football's nothing without fans. But it isn't. And, you know, you're seeing all these games that are so, they're so hollow. And, you know, I just can't, I'm looking forward to just getting back in it. Even if we're playing, you know, sort of uh, Stoke or whatever it is next season. You know, that doesn't matter. It's football again. It's exciting. It's you know, a day you out. Hmm? It's a day, it's a day out. out. Yeah. And that's what it is. And it's fun. It's something to sort of, you, you're with people, you know, you're like-minded people on, you know, for a couple of hours every week, every other week. Mm. And it's just, it is just a fun way to spend, you know, portion of your life. This having to watch it on TV and stuff has just been mind numbing for the most part. Mm. You have to suffer yeah. in silence. Yeah. Crap. Yeah, you do. Plus side for me, at least in the States, I, I did look up to see who has the TV rights still for uh, the championship and it's ESPN. And so if I renew my uh, ESPN annual subscription, it'll be about uh, 43 pounds, uh, you know, to be able to see m- most of the games at least. So at least I can still see them and, and yeah. I can still watch them. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be other ways to watch it. I, I, as I said, I don't think it's going to be full capacity grounds. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult logistical issue, but you know there will be people in the grounds. You know we'll have our jabs, we'll have our whatever this that and the other, um, and you know we can start enjoying the game again. We're we're going to have to kind of forget that the season happened, I think, and just kind of you know build on uh, build on our record in the championship for the last couple of years. Yeah. All right, lads. Let's um, let's move on. Let's let's go across to the uh, the chat I had recently with Baldo about Damien Duff. It's Damien Duff in focus. Fulham. Right. Yes, I've got Baldo with me for one of the last player in focus chats this season. We're going to do Damien Duff this week as we are playing Chelsea at the weekend. You all right, Baldo? Yeah, very very much so. Um... Yeah, it's it's starting to get to that business end of the season where, you know, relegation could pretty much be confirmed in the coming days. But good to distract, uh, good to distract myself and hopefully distract the fans. We're talking about one of the one of the better Fulham players in our history. Yeah, definitely. So Damien Duff signed for Fulham in August 2009 from then recently relegated Newcastle United for what I think is a, a bargain fee, which was reported to be in the region of four million quid. This was one of those exciting signings for Fulham fans, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was because it's not quite you know the big name that you know Dimitar Berbatov was in our you know in our Premier League days or 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 something along those lines because his his days at Newcastle weren't that great. I think most people, if you're asking you know, the casual fans, will remember him at Blackburn and remember him at Chelsea in that jo- in those Jose Mourinho days. But Newcastle he saw slipped under the radar a little bit and obviously just been relegated so not the grace of season but it was still a pretty big name at the time so yeah it was pretty exciting and when you think of the side that we had you know coming off of 2008-2009 and the wingers particularly Simon Davis and I think Clint Dempsey was our left winger for most of that season so it was pretty obvious that going into the Europa League we needed a you know a proper a proper left winger and to get someone like Damien Duff as you say for four million was was a pretty exciting deal in my mind. He's one of those players who who played on both wings, though, wasn't he? He, he did quite a lot of good work on the right wing because he used to like to cut in on his left. He was he's one of those types of players. But I remember um, I remember going to Portsmouth away on the opening day of that season, of the 2009-2010 season. And I can't remember why. I must have got a ticket really late because I was in the home end behind the goal. And my circumstances that week must have changed for some reason. Um, and I was I went down on the train and I was quite early, so I thought I would just go for a drink somewhere. And because I wasn't in Fulham colours, because obviously as I was in the in the Portsmouth end, and there was this big kind of canopy area which was home fans only, and your your proof to get in there was that you had to pro- provide your match ticket. So I thought, oh well, I'll just go in here and have a quiet drink, keep myself to myself, and watch the the early kickoff game. So in I go, get myself a pint and sit down and straight away, somebody makes a beeline for me. I've got a friend, haven't I, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Port, Portsmouth fan who would not leave me alone, kept asking me, oh, we're going to win today, then we're going to win today. And I kept saying, yeah, we're going to win today, we're going to win today. And I remember he was the one who said to me, because I've just seen the uh, Fulham signing Damien Duff. I thought, oh, are they? Are they? I didn't, didn't realise. Um, and he obviously wasn't signed in time for, for that game. Um, but he did have an instant impact days after joining as he, he set up the third goal in that 3-1 win moments after coming off the bench against, um, was it Perm? Um, that ended up being a, a vital goal too in that two-legged tie as we lost the second leg 1-0. So without that third goal at the cottage, we would have gone out on away goals. What do you remember about his instant impact? I, I, re- I remember it distinctly because I remember and also helped by, but you know, read Joel because I went back and watched, I went back and watched this afternoon as we were going to record this. Um, but yeah, it was literally, he comes on, the ball comes into him from, I think, Koncheski or someone bought, it was either Koncheski or Johnson. He skins down the, skids down the wing, um, sends one of the Amcar perm defenders for a hot dog, as the youth like to call it. He spins it in, he spins it into the cross and Bobby Zamora is there for the tap in. But I remember, I distinctly remember the celebration for it afterwards because it was such a quick impact. If anyone remembers what John Pantil used to do before the games, where he'd stand, I'm assuming it was some sort of prayer, but he'd stand, yeah, with his arms, you know, uh, sort of up over his shoulders like that. He did the same thing to the to the hammy end, but just in a, but no, not in the John Pantil sort of way, but in a way of just saying, oh, look at me, I've arrived, how great was that sort of thing. I remember distinctly looking down at him with the shock and you know, joy on his face that we could just see, oh, we've got someone here. And as I said, coming off, you know, coming off the last season, needing, knowing we needed someone to make that impact and be that, that crucial player for us, it was just one of those signs, you know, not quite, you know, not quite Pogrebniak scoring on his on his debut or or whatever, but it was 
which, which is which was yet to come. But but looking back on it, just think, oh wow, we've actually got someone quite quite incredible here. It was amazing. And in terms of the results of the day, yeah, I remember because it was I can three one because I remember we lost as you say we lost the second leg one nil, and I remember I was listening. No, I didn't even listen to the game. I was just getting updates from BBC from like BBC Radio Four or something, because because we weren't exact because it was on like a Wednesday. It was a Thursday afternoon game, obviously in Russia, so there was no local radio service. And it wasn't on TV, and I was driving somewhere or being driven somewhere. And I just remember the only update I got from it was from the news bulletin where it said, "Oh, and and in, and in sports news, Fulham are through to the group stage of the Europa League following a one nil, you know, three two victory." over Amkar Perm over two legs so yeah it was pretty important and a pretty you know tense affair you know not knowing what was going on during the game knowing that our Europa League journey could have been over before it even started I definitely remember watching that game but I've no idea what channel it was on it might have just been on some dodgy stream on the internet for all I know. In those, in those days, I think it was Channel 5 in those days. This, this, yeah, this, it, this it was on Channel 5 or ITV4. I remember they had a lot of our games that year. because mm. Yeah, because we were stuck way back in the corner until the knockout stages. Then we were in the big time. That's right. That's right. Well, Damien Duff was just, he was such a good player. And that, that first kind of involvement that he had in a, in a Fulham goal, the, the second he came, he, he appeared on the pitch was just amazing. And just remember watching him play for Chelsea. It was him and Robin, wasn't it, on, on the wings. And they're just absolutely electric. Um, and he was he was thirsty by the time he signed for us, but he was still pretty nippy and just an outstanding player. And somebody, you know, of proven premiership pedigree, uh, sorry, Premier League pedigree um, to, to bring in. Just re- a really exciting prospect that, that, we, that we'd signed. And he didn't take too long to open his Fulham account either. He scored the winner against Everton at home as we came from behind to win 2-1 against them in that September. Talk me through his first goal for the club. It was proper vintage Damien Duff, wasn't it? It was. It was brilliant that you mentioned Iron Robin because I think most people will associate that move. You know, a left footer coming down the right wing, you know, cutting inside and shooting into the mark corner. Most people will now associate that with Iron Robin. It's it's his move. But yeah, Damien Duff, as you said, he could play on the right wing and he made that move absolutely fantastic. He was doing it in his Chelsea days. He was even doing it in his Blackburn days, I remember doing that. And again, just going back to what I was saying earlier, those first few weeks just sort of epitomised that extra touch of class that he brought that he brought to the side. And, you know, we knew that we'd need it for you know, going through the rest of the season. Little did we know how important it was. But again, just those first two weeks, just it was just wow, we've actually got a pretty decent player. Now, as I said earlier, he was sort of on the down not on not on the downswing of his career, but it, it would be in sort of lull because of his Newcastle days. And the fact that we'd managed to revive him, as it were, was just was just pretty spectacular to watch. And his first season with us was of course the one where we went on to reach the Europa League final. How integral a player was Damien Duff, a player of his experience, not only to that Europa run, but to how well we did that season overall? I, th- I think it was vitally important. When you look at you know the players in the squad, how many of them had had you know, proper European campaigns? Mark Schwartz had had his with Middlesbrough. John Pansel, I don't think, had his. 
Hangeland would have had some, I think, in his Copenhagen Viking days. But just going, but just going through the team, you know, there were less, especially going up front. You know, Simon Davis probably wouldn't have had that many. Bobby Zamora wouldn't have had that many. Clint Dempsey certainly didn't have that many. Dixon Tatu didn't have that many. So to have that player who had that experience of knockout football, of European football, you know, Damien Duff was part of the Chelsea side that, you know, a couple of seasons ago went to the uh, semi-finals of the Champions League in. Uh, in 2005, when they got knocked out with a ghost goal against Liverpool, to have, you know, as I said, that extra quality, just to, you know, kick us over the line in important games, was was vital. And it's odd when you think back to the Europa League campaign, the names that sort of spring to mind will be like Clint Dempsey for his goal against Juventus, Gira for the performance against Juventus, Zamora for the goals, Davis for the goal against Hamburg, you know, even Hangland and Hughes for defensive thing in the back. When you go back and look at it. He sort of drifts away. You know, he's not going to be the first name you think about. But when you actually go back and think about it and look at it and actually analyze the and analyze the games and look back at the scores, you realize just how important he was. And I don't think his efforts can ever sort of be, you know, can ever be forgotten, even though most people probably have done. And his piece de resistance, if you like, that season was the Wolfsburg game. And I watched those goals earlier before we recorded this, just to remind myself. Because I remember the second goal obviously being spectacular, but the role that, um, well, not spectacular, but vitally important, but the, the role that he played in that first goal for Zamora's first goal against Wolfsburg was outstanding because Zamora picks the ball up and he's got a crowd of players around him and Duff bombs it down the right-hand side and drags the defenders away from uh, Zamora because they had to track him. And that created the space for Zamora just to take a touch and bend it in the bottom corner. Yeah, exactly. It's what it's you know. If you want to classify it as the Damien Duff game, you know, like some people have, you know, Juventus has the Zoltan Gira yeah. game, Hamburg will be the Simon Davis game, and what have you. That was that was the quintessential Damien Duff game. It was fantastic, and I remember the feeling. You know, you mentioned the first goal. I remember the second goal, and that was really the moment for me that season. Even though we'd already beaten Juventus, I think I've, I think I discussed this when we were talking about Simon Davis in focus. You know, all the way through that campaign, it was a case of, oh, you know, we've made it as far as we can. Just enjoy, you know, Shakhtar Donetsk, reigning holders. Uh, we'll put up a good fight, but we'll probably get knocked out. Then Juventus, you know, after being 4-1 now, I'll oh, just enjoy from here. It wasn't until Damien Duff scored that second goal against Wolfsburg. That was when I actually, it, that was the moment when it hit me. Oh my God, we're onto something special here. Now the fact that you know this was Germ- reigning German champions that we were, you know, in the process of beating, that was when it hit for me. Oh my God, we can actually go on and make something memorable here. Not just not just beating Juventus, but actually the length of the campaign. So that was so that was a pretty special goal in my mind, just for the yeah. emotion that the the emotion that came with it. I'm with you there. I, I was sort of open mouth watching that, thinking because it, it was second half, wasn't it? And those two goals were quite close together, and all of a sudden, you know, we're we're two nil up. Um, but then I remember just being utterly deflated when we conceded that late away goal, thinking, God, this is this is really set up now. And I've, I may have said this again on one of the previous pods. I can't remember if I've said this when we've been recording or just said it privately or whatever. But I remember being um, in Wolfsburg, having a few drinks uh, before the before the second leg. And a mate of mine just said to me, wouldn't it be nice if we could just get an early goal for once? And of course, Bobby Zamora scored in the first minute. There's our yeah. away goal. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. All that, exactly. All that pain, all that pain. Again, because again, you're going into it, and you know, I was thinking about it. 
No, because that was the first that was the first away trip that I'd done that year. Because you know I was a sick form student, I didn't have the money to mm. go out, so I'd saved up. It was only the only reason I went out because it was during half term, so I didn't have to miss school. Um, but yeah, just that whole day in in Wolfsburg, yeah, again drinking with Fulham fans in Hanover because Wolfsburg was just That's right. you know, nothing <laughs> was nothing. It's just an industrial town with a Volkswagen factory. Um, but yeah, just drinking in Hanover again, just being quite relaxed, and again just going into that thinking. Let's just just make it a memorable just make it a memorable trip, you know. If if we lose two one and go out on penalty, say, then yeah, what you know, then so be it. But the fact that that early goal just erased everything, it it was just fantastic. And then obviously the implications of what Wolfsburg had to do in that game, they'd have to get two to force extra time, and what have you. Again, it was just such those two ties were probably my favourite two of the game. Just again, just because of the emotion that came with it on both occasions. Well, Damien Duff made 150 Premier League appearances for Fulham, of which 131 were starts, and he scored 15 Premier League goals. He also scored three in the FA Cup and four in Europe in total. Which was your favourite of his goals? Uh, this is one that I'm pretty sure most fans won't remember, but it was against Newcastle at home in the 2010-11 season. And the only reason I remember it was because... I brought a Newcastle fan to the game that day and we were both sat in the in the neutral end, in the Putney end. So I was in amongst all the Newcastle fans that were just giving Damien Duff pelters all game. Because, of course, because of course, I I think he may have missed the match up at St. James's Park or something like that. But it was, you know, one of the first times they'd actually had an opportunity to you know, say what they thought about him after he left them, you know, the previous summer and everything. Or two summons ago, whatever you know what I mean. So, but yeah, so the whole game, just hearing him giving him, you know, just hearing him get oh, shed loads of abuse, and then for him to be, you know, I think he was put one on one through, and then just started away. And again, I've got to keep myself because even though it's neutral, and I've got to keep myself somewhat reserved because it was you know ninety five percent Newcastle at that point. Um, but yeah, I just remember, just remember the you know the keep the smile on my face when I've got to say, yeah, he's he's got one back on you. It was it was pretty it was a pretty fun it was a pretty fun night. I have to say that much. Yeah, they, there's no love lost there. I don't think he was. He, he had much nice to say when uh, when he left Newcastle, and I think um, he ended up accidentally, of course, scoring the uh, the own goal at Aston Villa away, didn't he? Which ended up sending uh, Newcastle down to the Championship before. I think he he played for them, and he may have scored for them um, in the, only on, the game opening de- with- on the opening game of the se- on the opening game against se- of the season against West Brom. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then then he signed for us. So Damien Duff was far too good for the championship. There's there's no way. Oh yeah, we can we can both agree. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I think for me that that first goal of his was was just outstanding against Everton. That's probably my outstanding moment from Damien Duff, or my favourite goal certainly. It just flew in the bottom corner like an arrow from absolutely miles out, and you know we were losing that game one 0 at half time, and I think. Koncheski equalised with a massive deflection um, with a shot from the edge of the box. And then, then he came up with that absolute belter um, and just a sign of things to come from him. Um, and also notable uh, shout out to the uh, to the third goal against Manchester United when we beat them 3-0 after that Basel game as well. I think yeah. Zamora and Murphy got the other two goals in that game. Danny Murphy, by the way, always scored against Manchester United. Great. Um, but that one was... He almost just hit, miss hit it with the outside of his boot, and it just just pinged in the bottom corner. So that was a, that was another special one. Were there any other moments from Damien Duff that really stood out for you? Yeah, one one of them comes on the pitch, one of them comes off the pitch. I'll go with the on the pitch first. I remember feeling slightly sorry for him 
Because I remember in that 2010-2011 season, we were playing Blackburn at home. And he'd scored two goals that day. Knew, I can't remember the exact order of it, but Blackburn then brought it back and we were drawing 2-2. And we got a penalty later on in the game. And of course, anyone who knows Fulham know we don't... I don't think we have that many hat-tricks in the Premier League. I think that's only the one. Which were uh, no two Pogrebniak against Wolves, and I think Clint Dempsey against Newcastle. So we didn't have that many hat tricks, and Damien Duff was on a hat trick, but for some reason Bobby Zamora took the ball off him. And I remember Mark Hughes, or it maybe Mark Hughes, maybe Bobby Zamora, said afterwards that he didn't think about the fact that Damien Duff was on a hat trick. It was just oh Zamora is the designated penalty taker. So and I think Zamora was on his way back from injury, so he needed a boost or boost to his goal record or something like that boost his morale so some more took the pen and i remember feeling sorry for damien duff through that because you know we didn't we don't didn't get many hat tricks in the premier league and that would have been a great opportunity to see it the off the let's, let's let's not forget aj against qpr as well aj of course how can i miss that one <laughs> oh, oh well Oh well, oh, well. Good, oh, good for you reminding me. Uh, but yeah, I think up to that point we hadn't had that many. But either way, but off the pitch, um, and this is a story that will only really resonate with I think ten Fulham fans. And if you're listening, you'll know what it was. Um, I was invited along to watch the first team train through a series of events that the club had ran, and it was towards the end of the se- the 2013-14 season when Felix was in charge. And we were given, um, and we were given a tour round uh, uh, Motspur Park, round training ground, whilst the players were training. And Damien Duff, I think, was injured at this point because he was up in the players' lounge. Um, I think either doing something on his laptop or playing FIFA or something. But he was in the crowd. I remember I was wearing my Pittsburgh Steelers jacket at the time, and he, as I was walking out, and we, you know, the group that we already just sort of discussed, you know, talked with him and bantered back and forth and whatever. And then as I was leaving the room, I just hear this voice from the back of my sh- over my shoulder to say, "I take that fucking Steelers jacket off. I'm not going <laughs> to do a good. I'm not going to do a good Irish accent, but that's, that's bad. That's it went bad." Was. <laughs> yeah, I've no idea who he supports, but I just remember being, I just remember being told, take that. And it was fun because, you know, in that time, I think we, it was in the aftermath of us losing to Manchester City 5-0. So the fact that we were, you know, in a deep relegation fight, you know, not come, not come off of the best of results. But the fact that the players are still willing to have a laugh in that point, rather than being completely down in the gutter, was, was, pretty, was pretty funny for me, even if it did come at my expense. I don't know why, but you talking about having a Steelers jacket on, I've just got an image of um, Alan Partridge with the Castrol jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why. <laughs> uh, niche reference, anyway. Yeah, very, very niche reference. <laughs> um, Damien Duff ended up leaving the club at the end of our ill-fated 2013-2014 Premier League relegation season and went on to play in Australia for Melbourne City. He was 35 at the time, but I don't really remember there being much fanfare about his departure, which, looking back, seems a little bit sad given the contribution that he made to the club during during the time he was with us. We had a Premier League legend in Damien Duff playing for Fulham for those five seasons. There, there should have been a bit more of a fuss about him leaving, surely? I think there probably should have, but given again, given the circumstances around it, I don't remember him playing that much of a part in the end of the 13-14 season. Um, because I think it was the likes of De Jagger and Richardson and Lewis Holby were on the wing for for the most for most of that time, and so and even Python Kasami I think got some minutes. So he was very much out of the picture under Felix McGath. So you know, out of sight, out of mind. 
there wasn't you know he, he wasn't really there and also the the way that the season ended and you've I don't know if you've heard the story about how the players were told they were gone basically Felix just lined them up and said you're gone you're gone you're staying you're gone you're gone you're gone it was was apparently what happened so I think the manner in which it happened and the season that it was surrounded it kind of would have it wouldn't have made a lot of sense for him to get this fanfare. He probably did deserve it, but given the circumstances, it was probably right that he didn't because it just would have seemed odd given the way that you know the, the state of the club was and the, how dejected the fans were. It, it wouldn't have done much to boost morale, let's just put it that way. No, 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 Felix, you're gone. <laughs> In a couple of months' time, yeah. Get out of here, you idiot. Almost said something else then. <laughs> Right. I anyway, we've said worse on this podcast. Feel free to let you to let you <laughs> yeah, feel no, out. I probably have. I probably have. All right, mate. Well, let's let's rate Damien Dust Fulham career out of ten. Then, what are you going to give him? I think I'm. Go- I think I'm going to give him a. I'm going to give him an eight. Uh, I think partly, and this may be the nostalgia slash romantic talking, but just because of the part he played in the Europa League run, which does get understated, as I mentioned. But again, when you actually take a moment to think about it, it was it was a pretty important. He played a very important part in it. And even beyond that, even beyond the Europa League season, again, 2010, 11, 11, 12, and 12, 13, he still gave us some pretty good moments and some pretty good goals. Obviously, you know, like many players in that time, it did sort of peter out towards the end with the relegation season. And again, I think most I think most players probably get get marks taken off them because of because of what they did. And, you know the role that they did or didn't play in that season, so he probably gets something out of that. Again, he wasn't a part towards the end of the season, but he could have done. He could have done a little bit better. Just you no know, to start the season to get us more points, put us in favourable position, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he gets points marked off, or marked off for that. But based on that, those first few seasons, which were fantastic to watch, he gets an eight. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think in, in an era at the moment where the football can at times be pretty turgid to watch. Damien Duff was the sort of player that you would pay to watch. Exciting flair player. That run, like I said a minute ago, that he made off the ball to just draw those defenders away from Zamora. That's the sort of thing we don't see at the moment. Intelligent play like that. That, you know, Damien Duff's making that run knowing he's not getting that ball. He knows exactly what he's doing and it's just class, class play. Um, yeah, that's and, and that's he, one of those th- that's one of those things that comes with experience. And again, in yeah. playing in big games and knowing what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely agree. And some of the goals that he scored as well. Just he was he was an exciting player to watch. And all right, we didn't have his his absolute best years, which you know Chelsea probably got. But that's absolutely fair enough. We still got some brilliant times out of him. So with that in mind, I think I'm going to give him a seven and a half. Um, which, uh, you know, I, I think is a fair rating, really, for the contribution that he made. And I don't think any player that played regularly in that Europa run is going to get a bad score, are they? They're, they're all going to go down in history. And, you know, I kind of have visions in 20 years' time, 10, 15 years' time, because it's already been 10, 11 years, hasn't it? Crikey. Um, that, you know, we'll, they'll, they'll all reunite on the pitch and come and wave to the wave to the stands and, you know, be, be introduced to the crowd. So, uh, hopefully that'll happen. Anyway, I enjoyed that, mate. Thanks for that. Let's pass it back to the main show. Fulham. Well, lads, we've got five games left. I guess all we can really do at this point is try and restore some respect and finish the season strongly. Hopefully the shackles will be off. 
and you know we we can play with a bit more freedom. Who are you guys picking for the West London derby? Morgs, what team are you putting out? Um, I think let me go back with the four three three or whatever it is formation. I think the back the back four kind of speaks for itself. Really, You've got Ariola. You have Tosin and Anderson at the back. Uh, I, I'd go Aina and Teto. Then got to have Harrison Reed. I'd go Angisa in this with maybe Lamina. Have the three of them in there, and then Lookman, uh, Mitro. I, I don't. I, I think Mitro's got to play. I just. I know Madger scored. It was a penalty. Other than that, he offered nothing. Um, I've been a defender of Loftus Cheek this season, but he pissed me off against Arsenal. I mean that. Uh, you know, appearance coming off the bench was absolutely dreadful, and my sort of you know backing him up has kind of uh, gone by the wayside for a bit. So probably go Cavallero to be honest. And there, I think I think he's a bit stronger. I think um, uh, Declan Over Reed is kind of he's just come across a bit lightweight recently. I think we need someone with a bit more um, oomph in him. So I would go with sort of uh, Lookman if he's fit, Cav, and then Mitro up front. Fair enough. Don, disagree with that? Agree with that? Mm, I don't disagree with it uh, for the most part. You know, if I looked at uh, Chelsea and what they've been doing since the uh, new managers come in, and uh, he he really likes to pack the midfield. Um, he, he's been playing a lot of either, you know, like um, these five in the midfield or four in the midfield, um, you know, type formations. So with that, in mind, what we can't do is try and match them. You know, we, I don't think we can play three. We couldn't play three in the back like he does. There's just no way. I don't think we'd be able to handle it. So we've got to stick with the four in the back. So I can see where Morgs is saying a four, three, three. I wouldn't mind seeing, uh, I, I really would like to see kind of a more uh, attacking, uh, uh, you know, formation at this point but i just don't know that we could handle it um i think we'd get slaughtered you know pretty much the only thing i could see doing a little different would be your your if you do a four three three you know uh, the back four pretty much like you say speak for yourself but i could see like uh a bobby decker reed uh reed and lamina you know and then sitting in front of him Maybe it's Mahjong, Metro, and Lookman because you're really hoping to get some good attack in there and, and you know make something hopefully happen. But I, I think it's it's not it's it's, it's going to stick with pretty much what we've seen. You know, although I would maybe be tempted to throw in Angisa. I thought he looked pretty decent here last couple times. Yeah, I think I think Angisa needs to play more in this. I think. The, I see people sort of saying, "Oh, why don't we just throw in some of the youth players now?" It's like, well, because we're not down yet. And you don't throw youth players into a team that's relegated either because the morale is so low. But I think it would be a good opportunity to see someone like um, Josh Onema getting some gay t- game time um, coming up. Is he even still around? <laughs> he's still around. He's been on the bench, but he is going to be there next season. And I think, you know, he's not a youth player. He's, he's, he's a decent player, but I think he needs some game time. Uh, I, I'm not talking until we're down. Like, I'm not saying starting against Chelsea. I'm not saying starting against uh, Burnley or whatever. But I think he needs to see a bit of game time in certain games. Um, because we've got to start thinking about it. Mm. And, 
you know, I don't want to see someone like uh, Jasper or Cavallo coming in because you don't want to stick them in a team like this. You know, if you're going to blood them in, blood them in next season. So what would uh, so, be if you're Parker, Parker there there what what would be your uh, your philosophy on this one? Are you sit back, wait, Parker the bus, or are you, you know, hope for the breakaway, or are you gonna go with, no, we're gonna just keep possession, hope we can find that, you know, pass that threads through and breaks through somehow. I th- I think that's kind of what Parker that's Parker's main setting, isn't it, really? The, the possession we'll play patiently and uh We'll try and snatch a goal and then soak up pressure for the next sort of, you know. So you don't think that maybe his mindset is we've really got to go for it these last several games. And he has that setting in his head. (laughs) I think it's, we all know we've got to go for it. I'm sure deep down he knows we've got to go for it. We know he knows we've got to win, but he will be sticking to this game plan. The same one that we saw against Arsenal. And let's face it, we were lucky to be one nil up. And if we... You know, if we get a goal in this and we defend for, you know, however many minutes afterwards, it's gonna the same thing's gonna happen. We can't just keep soaking up pressure like that. And I don't, I don't know what he's gonna plan. You know, I would love him to come out. You know, sort of like say, right, Chelsea have had a tiring game midweek. Let's just go hell for leather and see what happens. Um, but you know, we don't take a balls out approach. If, if we were gonna go, you know, just. Let's go for it. I'd be tempted, you know, God, could we do like a 4-1-3-2 and then our top two be Metro Omaja and just go for it, you know, and have like Bobby, Lamina and, and Lookman just trying to feed balls as much as possible. Have Anderson, you know, do a few more of those long balls that he he did here not long ago. So if you're going to go for it, you might as well just go for it. But it ain't going to happen. I, I, I yeah. kind of just see Parker the bus and hope for the breakaway. I, I think that's what's going to happen. God, I'm already bored. I mean, Paul's <laughs> <laughs> thinking about it. Like, yeah. 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 I'm going anyway. to get really drunk before in the afternoon. So that's a good idea. Game, I think. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. What, what time is that? That match? What time is that match? Five thirty our time. Okay, so, so yeah, so that's going to be an early drunk for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it would be. Well, yeah. I hope it's early. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe it's a normal drunk. Let's have a look at the stats because we're we're talking a lot today, and I'm sure these lovely people listening are bored. <laughs> so let's, let's you don't let's think the stats look. are going to make them even more bored? Probably. Let's keep it yeah. brief, right? Chelsea's season so far, they're doing better than us. Um, they're one one point better off than at this point last season, but are eight points worse off than in eighteen nineteen. Two worse off than in seventeen eighteen. And a huge 20 points worse off than in 16-17, which was the last time they won the Premier League. They picked up more points in away games than at home this season. However, they've lost fewer games at home compared to away games. Uh, they rank third in the league in terms of shots per game. And we are 12th in this stat with 11.5 per game. With that terrible conversion rate that Don spoke about earlier. Uh, Only three of their goals this season have been scored from outside the box. Only Sheffield United, Arsenal, West Ham and us have scored fewer from that position. Um, They've only conceded 20 goals from open play and only Brighton, Manchester United and Man City have conceded less goals from open play. So seeing that as we are deadly from set pieces, that's probably where we're going to be reliant on on Saturday evening. Um, Morgs. Let's have a quick look at Lampard versus Tuchel from you, please, mate. 
Yeah, so under Lampard, they had eight wins from their 19 games, uh, averaging about 1.5 a game with eight wins, five draws, six losses. They conceded 23 goals at 1.2 a game. Uh, they scored 33 uh, at 1.7 per game. And since Tuchel's taken over, uh, they've gone up to 2.1 points per game uh, over his 14 games, uh, eight wins, five draws and a loss. And so, and but they have conceded uh, only 11 goals in 14 games at 0.8 uh, and scored 18 goals in those 14 at 1.3 a game. Uh, so in summary, uh, more points gained, less goals conceded, uh, but scoring less. So essentially what they've got is the German Tony Poulos which very nice. Who doesn't want the German Tony Tony Poulos? Uh, the, in terms of the, the one defeat that they they have had under Thomas Tuchel actually is the uh, the they got smashed at home against West Brom, didn't they, the other week? Which was a real kind of an anomaly. So well, and they fell apart after they had a player sent off. So True. maybe that get one of their players sent off and um, hope they capitulate and we get a shot on target or two. Let's hope so, mate. Uh, but in terms of players uh, to look out for. Um, uh, Stato has picked out Mason Mount, 22-year-old attacking midfielder, has had a brilliant second season with the, uh, the club and has uh, drawn plaudits from both Lampard and Tuchel. Uh, he's got six goals and four assists this season, making him the uh, second top goal scorer. Uh, sorry, joint top goal scorer, um, which, you know, great for him, but also shows uh, Chelsea's uh, lack of attacking threat this season. Uh, he's got 2.4 key passes per game, which is the fourth highest in the league from any player. Uh, Timo Werner, um, obviously he's been the subject of a lot of uh, memes and online abuse, but he has been one of their brightest attacking talent uh, outlets. Uh, he's got six goals and six assists, which no more, uh, which is um, the highest for any Chelsea player. Uh, he's got 1.7 shots per game, um, though, you know, that's however many of them are actually been good, is arguable, uh, but it does make him the eighth highest in the league. Um, at the back, Ben Chilwell. Uh, after losing his place initially, once uh, the German took over, he has adapted well to it and he's kind of um, come back in and made the left-back spot his, his own. And he's got two goals and five assists to his name, um, which is more uh, than he had at Leicester last year. And finally, Antonio Rudiger, or Rudiger, I can pronounce it. Uh, he was very much on the fringes of the Lampard team, um, but he's come in and uh, become one of the mainstays under Tuchel. And uh, yeah, he's uh, 1.8 tackles per game and 2.9 clearances per game, which apparently is quite good. I don't know. I'm not very good with all the stats stuff, all these expected goals and things like that. I just watch the games. <laughs> you and me both, mate. You and me both. That's why we leave that to Stato. Pull, pull those numbers out of thin air. Right. Let's come on to some score predictions then. Um, as, as always, uh, until until we're at, it's actually confirmed, I'll, uh, I'll ask you to predict the scores of the teams that are still around us. So the first one is Friday night, 8pm, Southampton versus Leicester. I think this is the one where Leicester scored nine last season. Um, so Southampton, still an outside chance of us catching them. Very much outside, though. Uh, Don, what are you thinking? Saints, Saints versus Leicester on Friday night. 1-1 one, one draw. Yeah. OK. And Morgs? 4-1 mm, Leicester. Okay, I'm going to go 2 0 Leicester. Uh, Saturday at 3 pm, it's Brighton versus Leeds. Morgs, what, what do you think? I'm going to go 1 0 Leeds in that. Okay, and Don? 
I would agree. I think Leeds is going to win at least 1-0. Okay, I'm going to go 2-1 Leeds on that one. Uh, then on Sunday at 2pm, Newcastle versus Arsenal. Newcastle having a bit of a resurgence in their form recently. Don, what, what do you think? So I've got a, a mate who's an Arsenal fan, and he thinks they've gone to shit, that they're unreliable, and he thinks Newcastle's going to win. All right. How any what what, what how, by how many? Uh, he he said it's going to be like a two-one. He thinks it'll okay. be a late 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 game winner by Newcastle. Okay, and Morgs. I was actually going to say two-one Newcastle. I th- I think Arsenal playing Villarreal tomorrow, whatever night it is, Thursday night, and uh, Newcastle a bit of form. I think they've got a bit of confidence behind them. I think they'll snatch a win. Well, Arsenal drew with us, didn't they? And then they lost at home to Everton, so there's every chance of that happening. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go one 0 Arsenal on that one. I'm gonna back them to to get a result. Uh Monday at six PM, West Brom versus Wolves, the Black Country Derby. I think uh, West Brom won at Wolves earlier in the season. So Morgs, are they uh, gonna do it again? Yeah, I think uh, uh West Brom are gonna win it two two nil. I think Wolves are yeah. gonna shit now. I don't think they're yeah. done. Yeah, I think I, you're right. I, I think it's going to be a draw. I'm, I'm thinking zero zero one one low, just boring. <laughs> this is a proper uplifting podcast, this one, isn't it? <laughs> needs, needs, needs to come with a warning or something before people listen to it. Don't listen if you're of a, a fragile disposition. <laughs> Monday. Uh, Should we include a, a hotline number in case uh, they need yeah. to call somebody? I, I said that when J-Matt was on the other night. <laughs> need, to, need, to, uh, need to provide the number of the Samaritans at the end. Um, Monday at 8.15, Burnley versus West Ham, the Battle of the Claret and Blues. Don, what do you reckon? I don't know why. I'm, I'm, I am thinking that West Ham's going to win this. Um, yeah. I think they just have been a little bit better. You know, I know Burnley is pulling stuff out their butt, but I think West Ham, uh, 0-2 West Ham. Okay. All right. I think it's going to be one all that one. And what about you, Morgs? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two one West Ham. All right. Let's keep, let's keep the hope alive. Let me go into our game of actually needing something against them. And then finally, Stamford Bridge, five thirty p.m. on Saturday. Chelsea versus Fulham. I'm gonna go two nil Chelsea. I think it'll be straightforward. And that is coming from somebody who thought for a long time that this was going to be our time and we were going to win. But I just don't see it now. I think. Um, I think we're done. I think our form's gone and I, I don't see us going to the bridge and, and getting anything. So 2-0. Uh, Morgs, what do you think? I want to be more, more uplifting than that. It's really hard. I'm going to I'm gonna go one all. I'm going to say we're going to snatch it. Well, they're going to snatch a draw. <laughs> all, right. all right, mate. And Don, how about you? How do you, th- how do you see it going? I think Fulham's going to score in like the 15th minute. We'll sit back and Chelsea will end up scoring two and end up winning it. And both of those goals will probably be in like the 90 plus minutes. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I, look, I look forward to this reaction pod on whenever recording it. Yeah, yeah. Well, sorry about that, folks. Sorry, it's been a bit doom and gloom this week. But, you know, we can't... Uh, we, we can't be chipper every week. And I think we've got every reason with the way that the team have been playing recently and the way it's gone in the last few weeks to to kind of be a bit down in the dumps. But we'll be back. We'll be back. Back stronger, as they say on the Peter Crouch podcast.
Yeah, but Don, just put some, uh, when you edit this, put some uplifting music underneath it. Yeah, <laughs> some cheer, a little cheery score just to sort of brighten up. Like sound of music or something like that. <laughs> All right, chats, thanks for joining me. We'll be back on Monday morning to look back at how we get on at the bridge. In the meantime, if you haven't got around to listening to it yet, why not remind yourself of a happier time by listening to our show where we take a look back at the season that we won Division 1 under the expert guidance of Jean Tigana 20 years ago. Danny and I were, of course, joined by Kit Simons, who was brilliant with his stories and recollections of an incredible season. You can find that show wherever you normally get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening, as always. Speak to you next week. Cheers. <laughs>